You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. My guest now, Ariel Hyatt. She runs a PR firm called Ariel Publicity and Cyber PR in New York City. Uh, she is speaking on a panel on the nexus of public relations and social media, and she is a specialist on breaking indie bands. And I am thrilled to have her with me at the PRSA 2009 International Conference. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. Tell us about your journey. I know you started in traditional PR, and what did you learn, and how did you wind up on the blogosphere? <laughs> Um, I started as a traditional publicist in 1996, and my firm primarily deals with musicians, bands, solo musicians, artists, and um, we clicked along for many, many years doing the usual newspapers, magazines, television, radio, and after September 11th, 2001, I noticed something that was really, really alarming, and what I noticed was it was harder and harder to get publicity. It was harder and harder to place our clients. And I began feeling horrible about taking massive retainers and not delivering results. And I started turning to the internet to get traction for my clients. And um, at that time, I found a whole community of people that were interested in talking about music and music lovers and music enthusiasts and music hobbyists. And after a few years, I completely abandoned traditional PR, and we went fully digital. How did you learn to do that? <laughs> it was a heck of a journey. Because, um, I mean, your, your background, your training is conventional media relations. That's right. And so, you know, that's writing up a press release, sending it out to the media, pitching them on the phone, trying to get them to write a story. Right. And, and why, why did you abandon that? Well, I definitely um, had a shocking um, Re-entry, and I, it took a lot of reinvention and a lot of re-educating. I had to pretty much lobotomize myself as a traditional publicist and realize that in the blogosphere and on podcasts and on internet radio stations where the, the primary media maker that we were working with was a hobbyist versus a professional journalist that the way that I was pitching artists and the, and the way that I was used to getting news out and getting the word out was absolutely not going to fly. So uh, the first thing I had to do was start blogging myself. And I created my own podcast series. And I started going to pod camps. And I started having podcaster meetups in my offices in New York and I basically ingratiated myself into the community and became a member of the community, a contributing member um, and that was really where I started to see a massive shift and then what I realized after we started having success placing our clients on blogs and podcasts and on internet radio was that our clients didn't really understand how to participate so out of that, we had to start an education platform. So let's, let's, let's take it practical for a second. 
I want to be a rock star. Don't I, we Unfortunately, all? I don't play an instrument, but I would love to be a rock star. I really would. I mean, I love the idea of it. I've always wanted to be a rock star. Let's say, for in fact, I was a struggling indie artist, and I want to get signed. As a matter of fact, I got a question from uh, uh, Twitter. Uh, um, it's from Candace Joy, 2005. It's given to me by Michael Butler of the Rock and Roll Geek Show, one of his uh, Twitter followers. And the question is, how would you get someone signed? I wouldn't. Um, I don't believe that anyone should get signed right now in this current climate. And my job as a publicist is actually not to help people get signed. Um, I think if you wanted to get signed, the way to do that would be to create an enormous groundswell under you and try to get as many fans and as many followers as possible. Because if you build it, the record labels have to come. So if your dream is to get signed, and I think there are reasons to get signed, however, um, I think staying DIY is much more important at this juncture. But if that is your dream, unless you've got real proof to the record label that you are a commodity with a fan base and a following, your chances, unless you're a total pop creation, in other words, you have the look and the feel of like a Rihanna, you're pretty much not going to get a record deal at this juncture unless you bring something to the party. You know about Marie Digby? I don't. Marie Digby was that, uh, she did that, uh, she performed a version of Rihanna's Umbrella where she said, Ella, Ella, A, A, under my umbrella, Ella, Ella, A, A. I'll have a link in the show notes. Okay. And what she did was she performed this song in her living room, supposedly, um, and she did it acoustic, and she SEO'd it for Rihanna Umbrella, uh-huh. and she got like about two, two million downloads on it, and then she came out with a record uh, released by Hollywood Records, and the press release said, internet sensation, you know, she found her audience on YouTube naturally, and now... She's coming back, coming out strong, and she's great. And they pitched her that way. Mm-hmm. Carson Daly had her on, mm-hmm. introduced her as the new internet sensation. And then, like, a few weeks later, there's a story in the Wall Street Journal. I'll put a link in the show notes. And basically, they found out that, you know, she had checked her MySpace uh, profile page as being unsigned, when in fact she had been signed two years previously, mm-hmm. and she duped her audience. So she came out there and said she was unsigned. Uh, she said she made this video in her living room by herself. She SEO'd it for Rihanna, which is very clever, obviously. Um, but in fact, apparently, you know, she had some help from hair and makeup. And, you know, it was quite, it was more of an operation than just her. You know, it was misrepresentation. I remember seeing it and thinking, man, she duped her audience. She's the next Lonely Girl 15. This is terrible. She's going to burn and, and die. And she launched a blog on her MySpace page. And she says... You know, I was duped by the media. You know, this guy had an angle, and he basically said what he wanted to say. And he, you know, he, he I, I deserve this success that I've had. And she didn't really address any of the issues in the story, mm-hmm. any of the allegations that were hurled against her, which seemed objective, unbiased, dispassionate, and factual. And she responded with passion and saying, you know what, I'm an artist, I deserve my my fame. And she got all these comments saying, you know, go girl, what does the Wall Street Journal know? Wall Street Journal sucks. Mm. And in fact, you know, it was just the Wall Street Journal just writing a story about the truth. 
and the truth didn't prevail. What won was Marie Digby because she had a really cool song and people like the song and who cares about you know whether she was signed or unsigned. What they cared about was the performance of her product right, in this they case connected. her music. There was an emotional connection to the music and that superseded. That and the fact that, okay, maybe she didn't tell the entire truth, but she apparently came out and was transparent and passionate about her response. And I think that's always going to win out at the end of the day. Um, I would love now to go check out the whole story, but it makes perfect sense to me as someone who spends a lot of time looking at these authentic two-way conversations and... I can safely tell you that my musicians that take this on and get on the court in social media and embrace two-way conversations and really begin to get it, and it takes a long time. It's There is no quick crack hit fix in this world. We might be hired for three or four months as a PR firm to help you get your feet wet in social media, but I had a client I just... I just went to Iceland where I'm coaching some musicians and for 18 months I've been coaching a client who came to see me and she said, oh my God, I'm finally getting album sales. I can't believe how long it took, but now I'm getting album sales from my tweets and from Twitter. And so I think once you build up trust and once you're authentic and you understand how to communicate, things like that will happen. You will win them over. So is that the objective of social media engagement for an indie artist would be to actually sell tickets or sell music? I think that's one of the objectives. I think um, this whole conversation of ROI on social media is a very brutally painful one, especially as an independent musician. You don't have a whole lot of money. It's going to take an investment to hire my firm or any other radio plugger marketing company. And you always want to know, am I going to get my money my money's worth? Am I going to get my, my investment back? I, what's the, what's the, um, what's the monetary value of 7,000 new friends on, on across networks? Here's a question from uh, a Twitter friend of mine. His name is music coaching and he's a musician coach and a, a music consultant by way of a, t- a 10 year career at a major record label. Uh, he doesn't have his name up here. Rick. He's a friend of mine, too. Okay, good. Excellent. So, the, Oh, yes, he does have his name. I stand corrected. Rick Goitz. Goitz? Rick Getz. Getz. Thank you very mm-hmm. much. And the question is, what's more important for blog love, doing newsworthy things or knowing people? That's a really good, really good question. Um, I think doing newsworthy things. I think if you write passionate blog posts, of course, you have to know a little bit about how to get those things found that that will supersede who you know and who you're connected to in the long run. Pretty much. There is a, um, you know, there's a degree of glamour associated with being a rock star. And, you know, what I saw growing up, you know, being someone who liked music and went to concerts and stuff, you know, you just see these sort of glamorized moments with these rock stars and you, you you sort of dream wow wouldn't it be great to be a rock star but you know now that I'm a little older and I still love music but I'm not as you know enamored by it as I was I can imagine you know while it may be great to you know be at the party it's probably kind of a bummer to wake up the next day hungover <laughs> and so so I, I guess I wonder you know does social media you know does does, does that transparency I guess ruin the glamour i mean is the glamour gonna be gone because 
you can see everything. Yeah, that's such a good point. And it's funny when I go and teach social media seminars to musicians and artists or when I speak at conferences, there's always the hand that goes up and goes, what about the mystique? This is like stripping away the mystique of the rock star. That's right. I mean, would you ever want to know that Mick Jagger is folding laundry on the bed? No. Um, and I don't know that artists at that level, <laughs> you know. That's a great example. Well, You don't want to know You don't want to know that. I, when, I, when I see him, fold laundry I cry it's not sexy it's not there's no mystique right and actually that comes back from from something that those of us who are geeky enough might know Henry Rollins was an early adopter to Twitter um, back in the day when I was one of the few music people on it and I used to follow him passionately because I was so excited that he was on it it turned out he was not on it and it was an imposter but one day I was reading my Twitter stream and Henry Rollins was folding laundry on the bed and I thought wow but it turned out it wasn't him. What if him. he was folding laundry during the Grammys? That's right. That would, I mean, that would that's be hilarious. Just like the right, exactly. Of, of, of sad. So you know what I say to musicians, especially indie musicians that don't have the the privilege and pleasure of being iconic. What if he was doing the laundry <laughs> in his apartment building? <laughs> At in the like basement one, yeah, with the one, quarters with the machine that'd be the worst wouldn't it <laughs> you like walk so by no he's done for yeah it's not sexy there's no mystique there um, I, really and honestly though I, what I say to indie musicians who are trying to do it themselves is if you don't give a lot of yourself to your audience you're probably not going to get very far I mean Pete Wentz is on Twitter he's got over a million followers you know, there's so many. Dave Navarro. But there's guys like Christopher Cross. Yes. That are talked about. They're on Twitter. You know, they say, oh, he's tweeting too much. You know, you don't want to be too available. And then what's her name? Uh, Miley Cyrus. Right. She's off Twitter, right. which I think is a very good choice. It's not for everyone to be that exposed. I mean, she's a young teenager with a very complicated life and really too much in the public eye. And she's a minor I mean I think it's I think if it was overwhelming and she didn't like it I think it's smart that she got off it I don't think that everyone needs to be on Twitter I think if it's a medium that works for you then you should use it I love watching John Mayer on Twitter I mean he's witty he's funny I feel like I'm part of his tribe I follow him passionately I also love watching P. Diddy on Twitter um that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody needs to do this. If you feel like you want to have a certain mystique and you don't want to be too available, just because it's proven to work for some people just absolutely doesn't mean that everybody needs to do it. Let's talk about P. Diddy for a second. That's a guy who, who just taps into the nerve all the time. Mm-hmm. He just, I don't know, he just understands how to capture people's interest. And always has. What, what is it about him? I mean, have you ever sort of really, I mean, I guess you have. It's your business. I mean, what has I mean, he got that no, that other people don't, besides being, you know, obviously um, having resources? I don't know him personally. And I, of course, I work in the indie DIY world, but I do know a lot of people that have worked in, in and around his camp. And they say that he's got an insane drive and he's never, he never stops thinking about the next thing. He, he's a hustler. And I mean, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in the best way possible, that in order to make it in this brutal industry, only a tiny portion of it is how much talent you actually have. And, you know, this is the bad news for artists and creatives. 
it's the ones that understand marketing and opportunity and the ones that understand how to seize the moment, whatever the moment at that moment is, are the ones that shine. When I saw P. Twitty TV, I thought it was genius. Here's a guy that's in Us Magazine, People Magazine, page six, getting slammed all the time for, you know, questionable choices or things that may or maybe didn't even ever happen. And he was like, Mm-mm, I'm going to control this myself. I'm going to turn the camera on myself. And I will never forget watching him when he did the Kentucky Fried Chicken. Did you see this? He was he was in the studio recording his album. And on P2D TV, you can find it if you if you go through his Twitter stream. He did Popeyes versus KFC. And it's it's Puff Daddy at four in the morning sampling fried chicken. And he is funny. He's candid. He's like, you know what? I gained 10 pounds. I'm in the studio. Cut me some slack, people. Leave me alone. And he What's took... What's better? Uh, well... Was it KFC or Popeye's? I think you need to watch the video. He had very detailed notes about different sides. Interesting. Yeah, chicken. Okay. And, okay, so, so what does that mean? It's a silly little example, but what it is really is it's an artist who sometimes could possibly get manipulated and controlled by the media taking taking back his power and I thought it was brilliant I thought it was funny maybe I don't listen to him because I'm not a big hip-hop fan that's not the case with me but I'm just saying this is another way for people to come and connect to this artist and I think it's brilliant so you know I have this image that somebody who's in your line of work doing music PR is like going to bands all the time and hanging out and is that is that the deal I mean are you out every night seeing a band or something? I am not out every night because um, I've seen over 4,000 concerts in my life. So um, um, I go out a lot less than I used to. But yes, I still do love to go see music. And what's your favorite kind of music? Um, it depends on the day. I, I'm, a, I'm pretty much a massive music fan. So I tend to... Country Western? You like country Actually, just saw Lyle Love It last week. Okay. So yes. He doesn't really count. He's sort of crossover. Yeah, he's a crossover. Yeah. Um, well, I'm born and raised in New York City. So my roots are definitely in the, the ska, punk, rock. I, I wouldn't find you at the Metropolitan uh, Opera House. Well, you might, because I was raised by, you know, some hoity-toity Upper West Siders. So I sort of had a lot of that too got it so now of of the artists that tell tell me about the artist you're working with now and uh maybe you could pull out a case study of somebody you're really um proud of how you use social media to get them on the map absolutely um so we work right now with over 90 artists and we work with artists that are at all levels of their career and we work with artists who um are in every genre. So we have Christian rock, we have singer-songwriters, we have jazz, we have classical, we have rock, um, blues, etc. So pretty much every genre. And we have artists who are totally DIY, self-releasing, making their own videos. DIY, do it yourself. Do it yourself. And then we also have more, you know, more produced um, artists who are just, just to clarify for people maybe not in the music industry. Does that mean that they're they're self-published? Is that what it means? Yes, that means that they're releasing their own albums. They've gotten their own distribution channels. They're putting themselves up on iTunes through aggregators, and they're doing their own marketing and PR. And is there any particular artist that I might know, or somebody that you're working with that you're that you did something really unique that you were proud of, or maybe if you don't want to do that because you don't want to I don't want to put you on the spot of having to single out one artist um, you know through your journey doing this mm-hmm. what is some of the biggest lessons that you've learned about communicating through online channels that's a those are great questions there is someone I do want to point out and her name is Kelly Ritchie you can find her at kellyritchie.com 
she called me about um, 18 months ago, maybe two, yeah, it's about 18 months ago now, at her wit's end. She's an amazingly talented blues guitar player. Um, she's a total badass. And she has toured the world. She plays massive blues festivals. She's sustained herself as a full-time musician, which is very unusual. She's from Cincinnati um, for many, many years, over a dozen years. Just, just when you say blue, female blues guitarist, I mean, that is unusual in and of itself. Totally. And if you think about it, like we know Bonnie Raitt, and that's about all we know. So she's in a very and she's interesting... she's more of a singer-songwriter. I mean, I don't. she's not a B.B. King. She's not going to go head-to-head with B.B. You know well, I mean? Bonnie's a pretty badass she's great. guitar player. But is she really? Is yeah, she? I mean, yeah. could she sit on a stage next to B.B. King and give him a run for his money? She can. She has. She has. And that's Michael Butler, a rock and roll geek <laughs> in the background, just setting me straight. Okay. But the point is, really, if you rack your brain, there's only one. And when Kelly called me, she was exhausted. She had spent tens of thousands of dollars trying to break into the mainstream music scene with national publicists. She was trying to get the pages of Rolling Stone and Spin. She had tried radio pluggers that were working the major corporate channels. She had tried getting big, you know, deals where she was getting released into big box stores. And when I say that, I mean like Target, Best Buy. She had spent a ton of money and she wasn't getting any pickup. She had released 12 albums. She was still doing well on the road, but trying to crack that top 40 market was absolutely not working for her. And she is an amazing student. And she came to me and said, I will do anything you say. I just, I need another way. I need another solution. And I'm so proud of her because this is a woman who is not a teenager. She's probably in her upper 30s or 40s or even more. And she took it all on. And she said the first couple months were agonizing. She had to learn how to have two-way conversations. She had to get into Twitter. She had to understand how to post back on Facebook. And she took it on so beautifully. She's now connected to her fan base in a way that she wasn't before she found us. And she's selling more records. We've seen an uptick in her iTunes because of her um, inclusion on podcasts and on, on blogs. And I'm delighted to see the result. But the truth of the matter is to have an impact in social media, you have to be able to do the work. And the work is hard and it takes time. When you think about um, you know, popular bands that have really built strong communities, mm-hmm. you got you to gotta think about the Grateful Dead. Sure. I never actually went to a dead show, but everybody knows a deadhead. Everyone has a friend who's gone to the shows and done that. And they did it all without social media. Right. But what's interesting about them and Fish and any of the jam bands that have these cult followings is they are social media in the real world. It is really, in my opinion, and I think I have a very strong jam band background. I started my company in Boulder, Colorado, and I have been to over 70 fish shows and that's sort of in my pedigree and why I think I embrace and love social media so much is this type of community feels so natural to me. This type of, you get in the parking lot at a dead show and you're hugging a complete stranger and there's uh, a certain etiquette that happens. Of course, you know, in those worlds, it's few and far between but you have the same thing in Jimmy Buffett's world the parrot heads wearing the crazy hats and 
flocking to the shows and you kind of have it in the Dave Matthews world. And I mean, there are these bands that just keep touring and these artists. Does that exist online? Like, is there a band that's done the equivalent of that through social media? I don't think there's a, well, that's a Because what you're saying is like, if we like the same music, then we're connected. We have similar interests and we'll be friends because of that. You're saying you would hug somebody in the parking lot because they liked fish, you liked fish. Hey, let's hug. Right. You're qualified at that point. Sure. So does that, can, can you translate that to Twitter or Facebook? I think you can, but I think there always has to be the reality that music is an emotion, music Music evokes a visceral reaction. Music is not a commodity. And I think I think the first part of building a strong foundation is connecting with people live. I think that's where the real traction happens. And I think, of course, you can then take that connection and put it on the internet. And there can be other ways of communicating on social media that strengthen it. But I think somewhere there has to be a live component, not to say that there aren't artists that have done social media, wonderful things with social media and and getting fan bases, but it really does come back to the live experience. Well, listen, I really um, appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me and have this discussion. And I did get one final comment on a question from Cece Chapman. Hi, Cece. Who says, uh, please give her a hug for me. She's one of the smartest women I know, (laughs) which actually makes me really lucky because it means I get to hug you. (laughs) I'll take it. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.